Welcome to the Foundations Church Podcast, where we exist to make Jesus famous. We hope this message is life-giving, encouraging, and challenges you in your walk with Christ. Podcast, May 29th, 2016. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the FC Podcast. I'm Bobby, and I just took a life-changing nap, so if you notice that my speech is slurred or that something just doesn't make sense, I promise it's just the nap over. Before we get to the message, let me fill you in on what's happening right now at Foundations Church. So Kids Promotion Sunday is on the 5th of June. This is for parents of children moving into the first grade. So if your little one or ones is or are making this jump, you're invited to come and hang out with them as they make the transition to their new Sunday school class. We will neither confirm nor deny the presence of flannel graphs. Also, worship night is June 24th and everyone is invited. It's a special service without any rules except that you come hungry for the spirit and ready to seek God. And now I'm going to drink some coffee. Oh wait, yeah, I proudly give you the final service in the B-Team series delivered by none other than missionary Stephen Church. How is everybody today? Woo, Memorial Day weekend, yeah. Could someone grab that table for me and bring it up here? That would be very helpful. Um, my name is Stephen, obviously I'm not Pastor Justin. Pastor Justin um, had a wedding that he performed yesterday, so they are out of town uh, for this weekend, but um, we are honored to be with you guys again. This is my uh, beautiful wife. Thank you, Mike, I appreciate it. My beautiful wife, Bailey. Um, we are missionaries in Africa. In Africa, when people are introducing their family, they often say, this is my first wife, and this is my second wife, and this is my third wife. Well, this is my first wife, Bailey, and my only wife, but she is my first wife. And so I wanted to just give her a chance just to uh, say hi to everybody. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm so proud of you for being here on Memorial Day weekend. Well done. Well done. You can be loud and rowdy here, and you can go outside and enjoy the beautiful weather afterwards. So. Um, we're so glad to be here with you guys. We love seeing everything the foundation is doing. I know we were here a couple months ago. For those of you who um, we were here speaking, we've been here a little bit when we've been in town. But um, for those of you who were here, so we just cheer you guys on. We love what you're doing. We love um, just your heart for the kingdom, and we're excited for even in the future letting you guys be part of stuff that more involved in stuff that we're doing in Africa. So we're just gonna pray for the word this morning and let Stephen preach. Yeah. I won't preach. <laughs> Father, we just thank you for. Just your goodness this morning, that Lord, even in, even in the hardest of times, you're still so yes, faithful. Yes. And God, I thank you even for this series, God, that you've just been speaking to our hearts, God, through Pastor Justin, through Pastor Casey, and even this morning, Lord, we just thank you that we would know that we're not second rate, we know that we're not overlooked, we're not rejected, we're not passed by in your kingdom, but Lord, we're, we're here for a purpose, we're called to serve you, we're called to bring this beautiful kingdom into the earth and to be salt and light everywhere we go. So Lord, I pray hearts to be encouraged this morning. God, I pray um, where maybe they've not had boldness to step out and to be your light and to be your witness. God, that they would feel that this morning. Yeah. Lord, we just pray that Stephen would get out of the way and whatever you yeah. wanna speak, yeah. you would speak this morning. Thank you, Lord. We just say our hearts are open, we're ready to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thanks babe, I love you. 
five, uh, five years ago this weekend, Memorial Day, was the first time I ever spoke at um, Foundations Church. And Bailey and I had just started um, going out, and uh, she showed up at church. And I told Shannon that I'd have a friend with me, but I didn't necessarily say she was my girlfriend or anything. And Shannon gets up on stage, and he's like, and our guest speaker is here today with his girlfriend. And Bailey goes red, and I go red, and I'm like, hi, everybody. <laughs> so you never know um, what's going to happen when... Uh, that, when you come to Foundations Church. Um, I have several books today that I brought. They're out there in the back. I forgot to mention that in the first service. If you're interested, um, I'm asking $10 a piece. If you don't have money, feel free just to take one. I'd love to sew it into your life. Um, we uh, here at Foundations Church are about to go into a series called Redneck. Did you guys see it up there on the screen? Um, and it's going to be really good. Actually, Justin, Pastor Justin was sharing with me about it a couple weeks ago, and it's going to be so funny. Like, there's some of these expressions from, like, the back hills of wherever, that he just knows how to preach him, and I'm sure he'll make us all laugh. It's going to be awesome. Um, today, we're going to conclude the series on Team B, right? And if you've been around the last few weeks, you know that we've been talking about um, minor characters in the Bible who have a major role to play and a major voice to speak to us in terms of uh, what God's doing um, in our lives. And when Pastor Justin asked me to share on this, I thought, you know, I'm gonna, I would love to look at the life of Barnabas, because I've been studying Barnabas out for, for quite a while here. And here at Foundations Church, we have a core value. And you actually saw it up there on the screen during the uh, announcements. And the core value is simply this, saved people serve people. You ever heard that before? Yeah? Two of us. Okay. Saved people serve people. And I would suggest that oftentimes, if you're going to, if saved people are going to serve people, it's going to happen behind the scenes. Okay? And so this morning, I would like to talk about this idea of Team B, Barnabas, and I'd like to talk about it from the idea of behind the scenes kind of ministry. All right? And I think oftentimes what happens to us, at least here in the West, in America, is we get mesmerized with the spotlight and with the person who's on the stage and the person who does the preaching and the person who does the teaching and the person who is leading the worship. And we go, yeah, they're the ones that are doing ministry. They're the ones that are in the limelight. They're the ones that are kind of, you know, up front and center. And those are the people that, that, God are, that God's using, so to speak. But I think that we forget that Jesus is always working behind the scenes. And not only is he always working behind the scenes, but he always uses people like Barnabas to accomplish his purposes behind the scenes. In other words, I believe when God wants to move in people's lives, he sets the stage by working behind the scenes, by raising up people who are very comfortable with a behind-the-scenes kind of platform to facilitate and accomplish his, his, his purposes. Now, in just a minute, we're going to go to the book of Acts together. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4, but I kind of want to set up the context here before we look at this, okay? And the context is that the book of Acts tells us a story of the early church being commissioned to accomplish the mission of God. And Jesus himself sets this up in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And I apologize, I forgot to put it in the notes on the screen today. But um, it basically says, Jesus is talking and he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses. Now watch this. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the world. Okay? So this verse shows us the direction of where the whole book of Acts is going to go. And it shows us the mission of where the church is, is, is called to go. All right. And Jesus says, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. He's going to give you guys power. That power is to be a witness. And you're going to be a witness starting in your hometown of Jerusalem. And from there, you expand to Judea and from there to Samaria and then to the ends of the world. So the circles are getting bigger in terms of the, um, the, uh, the, the commission that God is giving to his early church. And we're going to get to uh, chapter four in the book of Acts. And we're going to find that the early church has pretty much dropped the ball, okay? 
They're very comfortable with the idea of Jerusalem, okay? Because everybody in Jerusalem talks like them, speaks like them kind of thing. Um, but if you look at Judea, they're not so keen on that idea. And Samaria is unthinkable. And the ends of the world is a definite no-go, okay? So the church is stagnated as we reach uh, Acts chapter 4. And the main problem is this idea of uh, being ethnocentric. And I know that's a big word. And it just basically means this. It means if people think like us, act like us, talk like us, eat our food, embrace our culture, then we will welcome them in. But we won't make any concessions to reach them. In other words, we're not going to go outside of our comfort zone in order to engage people outside of what we're comfortable with. Okay? So we see this, 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 this challenge that the early church has. And so God knows that saved people serve people, but not only that, serve people Sorry, save people, serve people. It's a tongue twister. <laughs> save people, serve people, and they serve all people. All right? It's not just, well, I, I get to serve the people that look like me, think like me, act like me, behave like me, because they, you know, they kind of get me. But if you're really saved and you really get a hold of this idea of what Foundation Church is trying to instill in us, it's this idea that we are called to serve people, all people, behind the scenes. Okay? Now... God needs someone willing to change the status quo. So God goes into behind-the-scenes mode to raise up this guy named Barnabas. We're going to look at it in Acts chapter 4, verse 36 through 37. And it says, Joseph, called by the apostles Barnabas. So this is like his nickname, okay, that the apostles give him, which means son of comfort. Some of you may have a translation that says encouragement. Comfort, encouragement, it's kind of the... Kind of the same, the same word, the same idea. He's a Levite born in Cyprus. This is important geographically. Keep that in the back of your mind, okay? Sold a field that he owned and brought the money and made an offering of it to the apostles. Now, we're talking about the challenge of ethnocentricity, okay? And right here, we see from, from this passage of Scripture that this is important, this idea of Cyprus, because in the New Testament up to this point, this is the first Bible character who is not born in geographical Israel, Okay? You look at John. You look at Peter. You look at Jesus himself. They're all born within the geographical confines of the nation of Israel at the time. But here, you come to Acts chapter 4, and it's the first time that God is going to raise up this guy who comes from Cyprus, an island out in the Mediterranean Sea, and he's going to play a major role, even though it's kind of a minor part, so to speak, the Team B kind of analogy, in accomplishing uh, God's purposes. All right? Now, I would like to look at um, this guy's... Uh, Nickname here, the meaning of his name. And it's interesting that they nicknamed him Barnabas, okay? And Barnabas means son of encouragement or son of comfort, which we see up here identified. And it's the nickname that the other apostles say, you know what, this is the characteristic that jumps out the most about this guy. Now pause for a moment and think. The people that are closest to you in your life, if they were to give you a nickname, what would that nickname be? What would they say about you? And I begin to like wrestle with this and say, Lord, like, what would people say about me when they hang out with me? Would they say, you know what, that's Stephen the complainer, because every time he opens his mouth, he's always blah, 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 blah. Or that's Stephen the backbiter. People try to, people, people share things with him, but man, he goes around their back and phew, stabs them, right? Or would they say, that's Stephen the cynic, you know, that guy, he has such an attitude about him, and he's always copying and projecting that on other people. I don't believe that. And I, Prove it to me kind of thing, right? Or would they say, you know, Stephen the worry ward or the fear monger or, or whatever it is. The, the, the point is this, that, that Barnabas lived this lifestyle and this characteristic was so exemplary about him that when people got around him, they said, you know what? I feel edified. I feel encouraged. I feel built up. So we're going to call him Barnabas, the son of comfort, the son of encouragement. Now, I want to break this down into Greek, okay? And 
We have it up here on the screen. Barnabas comes from uh, Hebrew, bar means son of. Nabas is from the word nabi, which is where you get the word prophet. I know, <laughs> too much information, right? Some of you are like, whoa, overload. Um, Huios paraklesos is the Greek translation of Barnabas. Because, because prophecy and encouragement are so closely tied in the New Testament, um, when they translated into coin into Greek, they said, you know what? We're going to call this guy Barnabas, the son of encouragement, Huios paraklesos. Okay, now some of you are like, whoa, what's with all the Greek? Well, I thought about it. I thought if you get nothing else out of the message today, when someone asks you what the message was about, you could say, I don't know. It was just all Greek to me, right? So we have Huios paraklesios. Nickname from the apostles. Now, we break this down and it's two words, okay? First of all, there's a preposition, and it's the preposition para, all right? And para, I think it's coming on the screen here, uh, basically means to come alongside. And then we have a verb, kaleo, which means to call, all right? And so you put these two words together and you have this idea of to come alongside and call, all right? Now, there's another word that some of us may have heard in the New Testament, and this is the last Greek I'm gonna talk about, okay? But it's this idea of ekklesia. Has anyone ever heard the word ekklesia? Ekklesia is the word used in the New Testament for the church. So anytime you see church listed in the New Testament, it's this idea of ekklesia, and it's also two words. It's a preposition, and it's a verb, okay? And ek is this idea to call something out, or out, and then, um, Ecclesia is from the same verb kaleo, which means to call, okay? So the church is those that are called out. Called out of what? Called out of darkness. Called out of sin. Called out of fear. Called out of bondage. Called out of self-hatred. Called out of condemnation. Called out of darkness. Called out of the power of the kingdom of, 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 of the devil. And called into something. Called into no Christ. Called into his forgiveness. Called into his glory and his grace, right? So this idea of ecclesia, you're called out of something, and it uses this idea of a preposition and a verb, right? So we, we put these two words together now as it relates to Barnabas, and it's this idea of to call alongside of or alongside calling. Now, why did they call him that? Why did they call him the son of encouragement? Well, I think it's because Barnabas came alongside of people who were called out of sin, called out of darkness, and he helped keep their original call of loving Jesus on track. In other words, he came alongside spiritually and called people into the fullness of their perfect calling in Christ. This is the biblical picture of what encouragement looks like. I come alongside my brother or my sister who has already been called out because they're a part of the church. They've been called into relationship with Christ. And so an encourager comes alongside and says, I'm going to help facilitate and establish that calling in your life so that you can fulfill what God has for your life. All right. Now, so Barnabas is, is, is using his gift um, to support and strengthen other believers calling. And I thought about it and I thought, you know what? I think this is a picture of ministry. Now, remember what we talked about, this idea of, of, of the spotlight, and you know, in America, the person with the spotlight's at the center of attention, but I'm gonna suggest today that actually the real ministry happens behind the scenes, and it's just as important, if not more important, than the person who's standing up here behind, on, you know, on the platform. A few people in, spot, in the spotlight can never take the place of the body of Christ coming alongside one another and calling each other into the fullness of their calling. Now, I know I'm using a whole lot of callings and calls and callings, but I want to kind of set this, this, this foundation for us today 
no pun intended with foundations, um, where we can see, you know what, behind the scenes is where the breakthroughs take place. When you have a Barnabas kind of calling on your life, when you begin to implement this kind of, this kind of um, perspective in your life, that's where the spiritual battles are won, behind the scenes. That's where discipleship takes place, behind the scenes. It's when the people of God come together and they say, you know what, we're going to call each other out to be everything that Christ has called them to be. Okay, now why is this important? Well, I think it's important because we forget who we really are in Christ, and we forget what and why we are called to. I don't know about for you, but man, I can be in a message and somebody's preaching and they're just tearing it up and I'm just like getting revelation from the Lord and my heart's burning and I'm like, this message is so awesome, it's so powerful, and, and I'm just being honest. I'll walk out of the building and within an hour, I'm like, oh. What was that thing that God was speaking to me about again? And all of a sudden, the enemy comes and tries to convince me it's not true. And before long, everything that was released into my life and imparted through that time of ministry, it just feels like it's completely fallen away. And that's why the Lord brings Barnabases into our lives to encourage us and to remind us of what that original calling really looked like so that we can keep on track with what God has for us, okay? Now, now watch this, because this is really interesting to me. In John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit, okay? We, we have the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Okay, there's two people awake this morning. I know it's Memorial Day. Um, and watch this as we look at this on the screen together. Look at, look at how Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient. The Greek word there also means beneficial, okay? For you that I go away, for if I go not away, the comforter, notice that word right there? Parakletos. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Have you seen that word before this morning already? All right. Will not come unto you, but if I go, I will send him unto you. So here's the context of this verse. Jesus tells his disciples, hey guys, I'm about to go away. And they get really, really sad. They're like, what do you mean you're about to go away? You're at the pinnacle of your ministry. You know, sick people are getting healed and you're teaching such amazing messages. And this just, just is so powerful what you're doing. Where, where are you going? And Jesus says, no, no, it's actually better if I go away. Because if I don't go away, you don't get the Holy Spirit to come unto you, right? So in other words, don't be sad, be happy, because I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit, the one called alongside of you in your call from me. He will minister to you, guys. He's gonna encourage you and strengthen you and advocate for you. He'll intercede through you and support you and counsel you and comfort you and defend you and guide you. And you're like, wow, Jesus, why would you go to all of these great lengths in sending the Holy Spirit? And the answer is because the Holy Spirit's calling or role is to ensure the calling that Jesus Christ gave you comes to pass. Isn't that awesome? That's who the Holy Spirit is. And we look at this here in this, in this passage, and I, the thought that came to me, I like what one preacher says. Um, he says, it takes God to love God. And the corollary is it takes God to know God. And for the purposes of our message today, I would say that it takes God coming alongside of us in the person of the Holy Spirit to fulfill his call in our lives. So he sends the Holy Spirit and he says, you know what? The parakletos, the divine encourager, he's gonna come alongside you in your calling so that he can keep calling you to fulfill that calling so that you don't give up on your calling. Um, I would like to set up a definition here before I look at three principles from Barnabas's life and then we're gonna close. And I promise we're not gonna go into any graduate level Greek. <laughs> but the definition I'd like to use today here is this encouragement, okay? Because I think people get, you know, some of you are already confused about encouragement because you're already thinking like Hallmark card, right? 
I go to the Hallmark store, pick out some cheesy sappy card, you know, get well soon, love, hearts, whatever, XO, I mean, I don't know, send it to someone, okay, and there's nothing wrong with that, but if, you're, if your paradigm this morning is that encouragement is just a little note or a little card, you're totally missing the whole message, okay? Are we together on this? All right, so look at this um, definition here. Encouragement is the divine empowerment to lift the load and burdens of life from a brother or sister and help them make spiritual progress or progress spiritually. All right, so that's, that's the definition I want to use. It's my message. I can make up my own definitions. When you get invited to preach, you can come up with your own definitions of encouragement, okay? Now, some of you here are going to object to this because this is exactly what I did. Because when I came across this and the Lord started challenging me with the idea of Barnabas, I began to say, but Lord, I don't have that spiritual gifting. Okay? You ever heard anybody talk about that? Because Romans actually lists encouragement as one of the spiritual gifts. And, you know, for some of us, especially guys, <laughs> I think this is hard because we don't like to encourage we like to compete. We like to compare. We like to say, you know what, I'm better than that guy. I can do this and that. And, and, and the idea is that we think, you know what, this call alongside stuff isn't for me because it's kind of sappy and kind of cheesy, okay? And I'm not definitely not putting a Hallmark card in the mail to Stephen and Bailey Kirk. But you look at 1 Thessalonians 5.11, and watch this. This is really cool. Um, Paul's writing in the epistle to the church in Thessalonica. And he says this, therefore, encourage, which is this idea of para cleo, one another, and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. So what Paul is saying here is that everyone in the church of Thessalonia, guess what? You are encouragers. You're Barnabases, and you get to participate in this. Then we look at Hebrews um, Chapter number three, verse 13 here, where Paul's writing again, and he says, instead, continue to encourage, oh, there's that word again, paracleo, one another every day, as long as it is called today. Well, why is it so important to encourage each other? I don't get what the big deal is. So that you may, none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We live in a generation that is so full of wickedness and perversion and godlessness and immorality. I mean, all you have to do is open up your smartphone and you can get downloads of all kinds of garbage and all of a sudden, without even trying, you can become hooked and ensnared and trapped by, the, by, 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 by sin in this, in this generation. And what Paul's saying here is when the body of Christ comes along each side of each other and begins to encourage each other and lift each other up and, you know, calling each other into the calling of what God has for them, it keeps our hearts soft and um, tender so we can hear the voice of God and stay on track with what he's called us to. So the bottom line is basically this. We are all called to behind-the-scenes ministry. There's no get-out-of-Barnabas-free uh, cards on the Monopoly board of Christianity, okay? We are called to be paraklesioses. We are called to be Barnabases. We are called alongside our brothers and sisters who share our heavenly calling, and we are called to ensure that they fulfill the calling that God has for them so that they can step into Christ's freedom and make spiritual progress in this calling. Okay, my introduction is done. Everyone went, whew. Three principles I'd like to identify from the, uh, from the life of Barnabas here. And the first, and we're gonna read Acts chapter nine, and, and we're gonna set up this story with, everybody, anybody ever heard of the guy by the name of Saul of Tarsus, okay? He later became Paul the apostle, okay? But when we see him here, he's not Paul yet, okay? He's still Saul. And so we're going to Acts chapter nine and verses 26 through 30. 
And we are going to uh, read together here. And when he had come to Jerusalem, now the he here is Saul, okay? He's just given his life to the Lord. He's been like riding on his horse or something on the way to Damascus. He's going up there to persecute everybody. A bright light falls to the ground, gives his life to Christ, you know? And then he comes back to Jerusalem. And as he comes back in, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Verse 27. The system has frozen. Okay. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the first point I want to make from this passage here is this idea of behind the scenes people see with a different set of eyes, okay? If you're going to be a Barnabas, you're going to have to see people with a different set of eyes. You're going to have to get a different kind of vision about who people are. Now, just to remind you, because I, th I think you already know, but let's set up the story. Just a few weeks or months earlier, Saul has been trying to kill the Christians in Jerusalem. In fact, if you read Acts 8, it says that Saul began to destroy the church and he went from house to house, dragging off men and women and putting them in prison. Now, why did he go house to house? Because the early church didn't have a centralized uh, meeting place. They met in the individual disciples' houses, which is what we'd call like a small group kind of um, model. And so Saul knew that's where the believers would be. And so he'd walk in and you can just see him knock, 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 knock. Who's there? It's Saul of Tarshish. I'm here with all of my soldiers and we're going to take you to prison because you've been serving Jesus Christ or worshiping in the name of Jesus Christ. All right. Do you kind of get the context here? In Acts 9, just a few verses before this passage, the Word of God says he had gone around breathing out murderous threats. So it's not just that he was going into people's houses, and it's not just that he was arresting people, but he was, he was, he was implicated in killing Christians. Now, do you see the reluctance on the part of the early church here when, when he shows up in Jerusalem? Can you imagine? Let's set it up in modern-day context so you guys will understand. You guys know ISIS right now is in the process of killing many, many Christians, right? So imagine you have a small group and a head, one of the head of the ISIS movement comes to your small group, knocks on your door, and in my best Arabic accent, he says, hello, I'm here to participate in your small group this evening. Are you going to open the door and let the guy come in? You're going to be like, heck no, my husband packs and he's got his gun and it's pointed right at you and you better get out of here, right? Isn't that how most of us would, would, would respond to this kind of thing? And so what happens is we read a passage like that and we miss out on the risk that's going on in the life of Barnabas. This guy's putting his neck on the line for Saul. This guy is willing to do just about anything because he so believes in what God is doing in this guy's life. He has a new set of eyes that he's seeing uh, Saul with, right? So we ask the question, well, why did, why, did, why did Barnabas accept him? Well, it's because he had a vision of the power of the kingdom of God. And he believed that the kingdom of God transforms people from the inside out, all right? The early church saw a problem. Barnabas sees kingdom potential. The early church saw with eyes of fear. Barnabas sees with eyes of faith. The early church saw what Saul had been. Barnabas sees what Saul is called to be. Are you guys following me this morning? So we, we, we set this up, and I want to ask this question this morning. Do you, have a, do you have a vision for kingdom multiplication when you look at other people? And Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like a seed, Okay. And he said that, you know, remember the parable? He said, one man scattered the seed. It's like the kingdom on the soil. And Jesus was always giving us this kind of illustration that the kingdom is like, is like a seed. Now, what do seeds do? Why did Jesus use this analogy? Well, seeds multiply. 
like a wheat farmer, and I forgot to look this up, I was gonna do some research, but I know that when a wheat farmer takes one seed of wheat and puts it in the ground, he doesn't expect one kernel back. He expects a large harvest back on what that seed put produced, right? Okay, so if the kingdom is like a seed, then what Jesus is talking about is this idea of multiplication. Now there's a Kenyan proverb. I grew up in Kenya, I think many of you know that. I'm really an African American, but I try to act okie. Um, it says, you can count the number of seeds in a mango, but you can't count the number of mangoes in a seed. Now, Bailey and I were talking about this, my first wife, and we were saying, you know, um, I, I said, this is such a cool quote. And she's like, yeah, okay, it's a great quote. And I said, don't you know how many seeds are in a mango? And she says, no, I always go to the store and buy it already chopped up. Okay, so how many seeds are in a mango? The answer is one. Okay, let's try this. How many seeds are in a mango? <laughs> Okay, we're together. Or an avocado. Maybe we change the analogy. Anybody who's had guacamole before, you open up, there's one seed in there, right? But if you take that one seed and you plant it in the ground, you cannot determine how many mangoes or avocados are going to come out of that one seed. My, my dad uh, took some, three mango seeds like 15 years ago, and he planted them in our front yard in Kenya. And today, if you go visit my parents, each tree produces between four and 500 mangoes a year. Okay, so it's this idea that the seed is for multiplication, okay? And that's, what, that's on, um, what Barnabas did. He saw people with a different set of eyes. Missiologist Alan Hirsch says that inside every seed is a forest. And Barnabas believes that every person's life is a seed with potential to turn into a forest, right? Barnabas saw the seed multiplying. Barnabas saw a forest in the seed. Now, listen to this. Barnabas comes to these guys in Jerusalem, and he says, you know what, guys? This guy's he, he loves the Lord now. He, he, you know, he, he serves God now, and he's not a terrorist anymore. I promise he's a Christian. And more than that, God's going to use him powerfully. And you can just see the early church uh, leaders in there going, yeah, all right. Okay, we'll play along with this. So you really believe that this guy's going to have, you know, be used powerfully to multiply God's purposes? Like, do you really think he's ever going to be used to, to write anything in the Bible? I mean, give me a break. You really think this guy's ever going to be able to plant any churches? Come on, give me a break. You think this guy's ever going to be a, a missionary? No, give me a break. You think this guy's ever going to go before Caesar and be able to preach the, the, the word of God even in Rome? Pfft. And I just thought, you know what? What would have happened? What would have happened if the early church had missed out on God's gift that he was raising up, a man who wrote two-thirds of this book. And it was because one man by the name of Barnabas was willing to get a hold of a vision that was different and begin to say, you know what, there's something in this guy. And yeah, he may have come from a really rough background, but you know what, God's got a calling on his life, and I'm going to risk everything to come alongside this guy, right? Now, I found a story about George Washington Carver, and he devoted his whole life to setting the, the peanut. And I almost bought peanuts at the store yesterday, but I thought, yeah, some people might have peanut allergies, and I don't want to be responsible for sending anyone to the emergency room on second service in uh, Foundations Church. So I got an almond instead, okay? So here's my little almond, and it's sitting here in my hand. And um, George Washington Carver was once asked by a reporter, and he asked him why he had devoted his life to studying the peanut. And this is what he said. Remember, we're talking about seeing with a different set of eyes. He said, why, I just took a handful of peanuts, and I looked at them, and I prayed, great creator, why did you make the peanut? Why? With such knowledge as I had of chemistry and physics, I set to work to take peanuts apart. I separated the water, the fats, the oils, the gums, the resins, the sugars, the starches, the pectoses, the pentoses, the pentosens, the lysine, and the amino acids. There. 
I had the parts of the peanut spread out before me. Then I merely went to try different combinations of those parts under different conditions of temperature, pressure, and so forth. And the end result, 202 different products that are made with the peanut. I looked this up. There's things like flour and paste and wallboard and insulation and paper and soap and wood stains and shaving cream and skin lotion and antiseptics and laxatives and axle grease and incesticides and glue, all because one man had a vision of a seed. Are you guys getting this this morning? I remember when I was 18 years old in Nairobi, Kenya, senior in high school, a missionary by the name of Chip Block invited me to go with him out in the bush area. And he said, Steve, I want you to preach today. And I almost fell out of my chair because out of the seat in the car, because I'm thinking I cannot preach. I've shared this with you guys before. I dealt with so much rejection and insecurity. And here's this man saying, no, I believe in you. I believe you can do this. We get to the church about two hours out of Nairobi. He asked the pastor if it's okay that I share the word instead. And the pastor's like, oh, you want him to preach instead of you. And the chip is like, yeah, you can do that. I'm like, okay. And so I get up on stage and I am so nervous. I was thinking about this and preparing this message. My knees are knocking. I mean, sweat is pouring. And the only thing that comes to mind is to preach on the story of the leopard and the idea that if you take a baby leopard when, you're, when it's a cub, it represents sin. And if you keep it and he's real cute and you play with them and oh, coochie, coochie, what a cute little leopard. Well, eventually that leopard's going to grow and become strong and become a full-grown leopard and he's going to get hungry and that full-grown leopard's going to turn around and probably eat you, okay? That was the message. <laughs> and everybody in this platform's looking at me like, whoa. What kind of message is this? And I think I was preaching out of my fear, and so I was like making the message real scary. Well, I give the altar call, and like people respond like crazy. Whoa, that's me. I gotta get right with God. And they all come, and I'm like, wow, what's going on? I found out afterwards that because this area was still in the forest in Kenya, they had leopards that came into the, into the villages all the time. And I just thought, you know what? This was amazing that God used all that in my insecurity, whatever. And I came away from that moment, and there was like this fire inside of me that I was called to preach. Why? Because one missionary was willing to believe in a seed in my life. The second point I want to make here, and we'll go really quick, is that behind the scenes, people interact with a different set of values. Now, put this quote up on the screen here. I found this. This is really good. If you treat a man as he is, he will stay as he is. But if you treat him as if he were what he ought to become and could be, he will become bigger than he ever thought possible. Isn't that awesome? Now, Look at this. How does Barnabas do this? Well, there's two ways Barnabas does this, all right? Number one, Barnabas insisted on believing the best about people. Can I ask us a question today and challenge us? Are we believing the best about people or do we believe the worst about people? It's so easy to look at someone who's close with us, who we've known and we've interacted with, and you say, you know what? I know what you used to be. I, I know how you used to treat people, and you're so messed up, and we like put these labels, and we assign it on people, and, and, and the problem is this. The good news isn't just that Jesus forgives sins. It's that he gives us the power to get out of sin and live free and become who we are really called to be. That's really good preaching right there. When we do this, we, we, when we label people, we're basically saying this. We're basically saying, you know what? Jesus, I know I claim to be a Christian, and I say I believe all that stuff about a new creation and forgiveness, but in reality, your blood isn't strong enough to forgive this person, and your cross isn't powerful enough to transform them either. And then my question would be to that person, well, then how do you know it's powerful enough to change you? And so we have to embrace this kind of mentality and this kind of model that believes the best about people. And then secondly, Barnabas didn't hold a person's past against him. Wow, this is powerful. The past is the past. What Barnabas saw was God's calling on Saul's life. People who hold the past against other people are people who have never been set free from the condemnation that they feel in this moment. 
I have learned this about people. When someone pulls you down, it's not because they're necessarily trying to be negative. It's usually because they've never experienced breakthrough and freedom in their own life, and they're so miserable that they have to find other people to make them miserable. And the good news this morning is this. You don't have to walk under a heavy cloud of condemnation, of feeling miserable and beat up. The good news is that there is a calling for freedom. The good news is that Christ comes and breaks every yoke and bondage so that we can move into a place of being like a Barnabas where we come alongside other people and they say, you know what, I have experienced and tasted what Jesus did for me. If he did it for me, he can do it for you and I wanna help you fulfill the calling that he has put on your life. The third point I wanna make this morning and we'll close with this one is this idea of behind the scenes people position others for success. Now throughout the New Testament, throughout particularly the book of Acts, up to this point it's always been Barnabas, and Saul. Barnabas and Saul went here. Barnabas and Saul went to do this. And it's this idea that these two guys were in partnership together, okay? These two guys were a ministry team, the teamwork factor. And they are going now on their first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13, and we'll close with this passage here. Um, and they're going back to a place called Cyprus. Now, does anybody remember why Cyprus is important? It's where Barnabas is from. So in a sense, Barnabas is going back to his hometown. Okay, Barnabas is going back to, to, to the place where he, where he comes from, you know, and maybe he probably hasn't been there in a while because travel was really difficult back then, right? And they're going back to this island of Cyprus and the governor wants to have an audience with them and there's a sorcerer or wizard on the island of Cyprus by the name of Elamus who is doing everything he can to deceive people, to confuse the people so that they don't turn from darkness and embrace the message of Jesus Christ, all right? So watch this. I'm going to read it in the message because I think it does a really good job of just helping it click in our, in our minds. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul. Pause. Remember we just said up to this point in scripture, it's been Barnabas and Saul. Okay. That's been the natural progression. How Luke, the author of Acts, um, tells us about these two guys. Wanting to hear God's word firsthand from them. But Dr. Know-it-all, that's the wizard's name in plain English because he was so puffed up and full of pride. Um, stirred up a ruckus, trying to divert the governor from becoming a believer. But Saul or Paul, this is the first mention in the New Testament of Saul's name being changed to Paul, full of the Holy Spirit. Now this is awesome. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, man, that's when there's this, there's this change of name, this change of identity that takes place. And Unfortunately, the message says full. The Greek verb um, pomplemai is actually to be filled at that moment. And so this is, a, this is a fresh, new, special infilling of the Holy Spirit for Saul. Okay, He's been filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 9, but now he's filled again in Acts chapter 13 for a special purpose and a special commissioning. Right? And looking him straight in the eye, he said, you bag of wind, you parody of a devil, why you stay up at nights inventing schemes to cheat people out of God. Wow. But now you've come up against God himself, and your game is up. You're about to go blind. No sunlight for you for a good long stretch. He was plunged immediately into a shadowy mist and stumbled around, begging people to take his hand and show him the way. Remember, the governor's listening, and I didn't include the rest of the chapter, but as this guy starts stumbling and bumbling around, and as I go head first over the front of the platform here, um, the governor goes, oh my goodness. This Jesus thing, it's not just some nice teaching. It's legitimate. There's power. There's a, there's a demonstrable, you know, action that it corresponds with the message you guys are sharing, right? And I thought about this, and I said, you know, um, something amazing is happening here. Joseph, nicknamed Barnabas, has come back home, and he decides to participate in God's purpose behind the scenes. 
And the cool thing is that in this moment, while they're talking to the governor, the Holy Spirit, who's the divine Paracletos, fills Saul for a second time. And the heavenly Paracletos, committed to Saul's call, gives him a fresh empowerment for witness and ministry to call the people of Cyprus out of darkness. And at the same time, the earthly Paracletos, which is Barnabas, right, also committed to Saul's call, comes alongside into agreement with heaven. So you have agreement in heaven and agreement on earth. You have vertical and you have horizontal. And at that point of intersection, bam, Holy Spirit comes with power, fills this guy, and all of a sudden he has such a boldness and a courage that he says the power of darkness are going to be pushed back and Jesus is going to be glorified. And you're sitting there going, wow, and this happened in your hometown. How awesome. What a message to us today to remind us that when we get a hold of this message of being a Barnabas and coming alongside other people, God's going to take care of issues, challenges, and circumstances that are even facing us back out of the four walls of this building in real life, in home kind of territory that we face, right? Now, I want to close this message, and I want to close it because some of you are still sitting there and you're going, yeah, I don't kind of understand all the calling in the minute. Where are you going with this? Well, here's an illustration, and I think it's going to tie everything together for you, okay? Um, when I lived in Tanzania, this is about six years ago, I was the pastor of an international church in Dar es Salaam, the largest city in Tanzania. And during the week, I liked to go to the beach because Dar is located right on the coast. And it was kind of like my time just to reflect and pray and seek the Lord. And there were all these fishermen on the beach because there's multiple um, tourist hotels all along the coast in Tanzania. And so they go and they catch these crabs that are running around all over the, the beach, right? And they would take these buckets and they would put the crabs in the bucket. And so you could walk and see these fishermen and they could have like... 50, 60, 70 crabs just stuffed on top of each other in these giant buckets. And the idea was the Wazungu, the white people from Europe, love to eat crab meat. And so they would take it and they would sell it and they would make some money off of it, right? Now, the interesting thing about these crab buckets is they would fill them so full of crabs that the top level of the crabs would almost be at the lip of where the bucket is. And so there's only a couple of inches separating them. And these crabs aren't stupid. They know they're about to go in the frying pan. And so they would do everything they could to try and get out of the bucket. And you know crabs have these little pinchers, pinch, 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 pinch kind of thing. And they would use these things as like, you know, levers to try and grab the top of the, the rim of the bucket and pull themselves out. And you would watch this and it was really interesting because at the exact moment when you're like, oh, that guy right there, he's going to get out of here. He's going to escape and then whoosh, scurry back to the water. He would just about be back over. And you know what would happen almost invariably, like 100% of the time? The crabs down below, uh, down, below huh, down beneath him would see this crab trying to escape from the bucket. And they would reach out their big old crab hand. And they would grab the legs of that crab that was trying to escape. And they'd go and pull him back down. True story. And you would watch this, and the next crab would build himself up on top of the other guys, and he would grab a hold of the top, and he'd be just about to get back up, and whoop, somebody would catch him by his table, um, leg, pull him back down. And I thought about this, and I thought, you know what? We aren't called to pull each other down, but we are called to push each other up. And I think, sadly, the church has spent so long thwarting each other and competing with each other and minimizing each other and questioning each other's motives and deciding who's the best preacher in town and which church has the best music. And we've put all of these categories and things on there that we've forgotten how just to come alongside and call to the calling that's already on the brothers and sisters of Christ. 
and say, you know what? Instead of pulling you back down, instead of being jealous, instead of being suspicious, instead of being fearful, instead of comparing myself and walking in this trap, instead of pulling you back down from your calling, I'm going to get behind you and push you up over the top so that you can run, you can excel, you can soar with what God's called you to. You know, here at Foundations Church, we have some amazing preaching. Pastor Justin's actually one of my favorite preachers because he'll have me laughing and then the next moment, whoo, zing, he'll hit me with the word of God, right? And Shannon and the worship team up here, I mean, powerful kind of stuff. I mean, it's just some of the best worship I've ever been in. I'm not just saying that. And you know what happens when you come into an environment like this? It's really, really easy to get real comfortable. And it's really, really easy to go, oh, we've got great preaching and great worship and woo, they're doing all the work because they're up in the spotlight. Remember we're talking about that? And we forget that actually the church, those that are called out of darkness, are not the ones up on the platform, although they are part of it, but the church is every single person who acknowledges Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And every single one of us have a calling to come alongside our brothers and sisters and do the work of ministry, which I believe is this idea of encouragement. And again, it's more than just sending each other um, Christmas cards during the holidays, right? And so I want to challenge us today as we look to close this service. Are you being a Barnabas? Do you have God's heart of being a Paracletos? Are you coming alongside your brothers and your sisters and those that God has put in the sphere of influence around your life? And are you using your gifting and calling to call them into the fulfillment and fullness of what God has for them? My final remark here is this idea of positioning for success. This is the first time in Acts 13 that Paul, that we see the name Paul. And from this point forward, it's not going to be Barnabas and Saul anymore. It's going to be Paul and Barnabas went here. And Paul and Barnabas preached there. And Paul and Barnabas did this miracle. And Paul and Barnabas, and you know what's really cool about this? Barnabas is okay with it. At no point did Barnabas say, hey, now wait a minute. Don't wait a minute. I'm the guy who went and found Saul. I'm the guy who put my neck on the line for Saul. Uh, wait, I'm the one who should get the credit. Luke, what are you doing flipping the order of the names around? I'm the big shot here. No, not even one time. Why? Because he was positioning people for success in the kingdom of God. And if we're going to be Barnabases, we're going to have to get out of the way. And we're going to have to stop pushing our agenda and pushing our solution and pushing our idea and instead come alongside our brothers and say, you know what? I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to impart in you as much as I can. And then at some point, I fully expect that I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to decrease. It's what John the Baptist preached. He said, I must decrease that Jesus may increase. And then I'm going to run with you up to that point. And then the Spirit of God's going to come and He's going to empower you. And you're going to go far beyond anything that I've ever been able to accomplish. That's what we have to do. Foundation, that's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do, to come alongside each other, not just to sit back and on our blessed assurance and fold our hands and say, you know what, preach Pastor Justin, sing Mitch and team and Pastor Shannon, entertain me today. No, we have to get involved in what God's doing because saved people serve people and they do it behind the scenes and they do it with all people. Lord, we love you today. We thank you for the opportunity to share your word. We bless you. We glorify you. Lord, I thank you for this word today. And I just want to ask in these closing moments that, Lord, you would inspire our hearts, but also impart the truth of your word to our hearts, that we would be the kind of people that are able to uh, be entrusted by you to find the souls of this generation. Because we believe that you are in the process of making all men new. You are in the process of saving the lost. You are in the process of calling prodigals out of darkness and restoring them. And Lord, there is no telling what you have put inside of people because your kingdom is like a seed. And the multiplication that can take place is incredible. 
So as we are in this closing moment together, is there anyone here and you'd say, you know what, I need to get my life right with God. I've, I identify more with the Saul rather than the Barnabas today. Would you just slip up your hand if anybody's here, you've been living as in, in a prodigal kind of lifestyle and the Lord's calling you back to a relationship with him or you've never had that relationship with him before. If that's you, could I just see your hand? Is there anybody? I don't want to close the service without giving that invitation. Okay. Are there other people here today and you'd say, you know what, I'm being challenged by this message to be a Barnabas. I'm being challenged by this message to stop nitpicking other people and criticizing them and comparing with them. I'm being challenged to get a larger vision. I'm being challenged to treat them in the way that God wants me to treat them. I'm being challenged to position them for success. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand that God would give you that spirit of encouragement? Thank you. Thank you. Lord, we thank you for your word today. And we just ask that, Lord, you would encourage these that have raised their hands and for all of us that, Lord, you'd give us a vision of what it looks like to be a Barnabas, of what it looks like to be willing to take risk, of what it looks like, Father, to be able to get your heart for people. Lord, I pray that you would use us powerfully, greatly, Lord, to be behind the scenes kind of people here at Foundations Church. Lord, we love you. We bless you. And we trust you that, God, you are building your church and we want to be a part of it. Long become. Join in our vision here at Foundations Church. The services are every Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. and our youth service voltage is every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more about us or to get plugged in, check us out online at foundationschurch.tv. We hope that you enjoyed this message. If you have any questions or want to reach out to us, you can email us at info at foundationschurch.tv or visit our website at foundationschurch.tv.